Conrad, a working mom of a toddler and an elementary school kid. And I'm Claire, the mom of two boys who are also in elementary school, and I also work full-time. We're two friends in the middle of the country, in the middle of parenting, in the middle of our careers, and in the middle of just about everything. Hi guys, welcome to the middle of everything with Sarah and Claire. Hi everybody. Oh, we're just uh, rolling this week with busy. You've been traveling for work. I'm getting ready to travel for work. I feel like we're on like a never ending cycle of running ourselves in and out of town. Yeah, that's what life is, man. (laughs) I guess that's true. Is it ever not like that? I guess for us right now, that's Mm -hmm. that's what we got going on. So yeah, I had an awesome week last week. Um, Besides, like you said, work travel and... um, just some some family in town and things like that. We also did my first Cub Scout camp out. Yes, I want an update. Was about camping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, listeners, I may have talked about this before, but my husband has taken our uh, oldest son out on Cub Scout campouts before. This was the first time our younger son was able to go as well. So I went too, you know, so we could play man-to-man defense instead of zone. Totally. Uh, which parents of more than one kid will appreciate. Um, and yeah, it actually was great. It was supposed to rain on us. We were like fully prepared for this to be a shit-tastic experience. So we were just <laughs> going to handle it because that's the kind of dedicated parents we are. But um, turned out the sun was shining. It was a beautiful day. We were out at this amazing ranch. The kids got to like shoot archery bows and, Fun. Um, you know, BB guns um, under very controlled circumstances. Uh, we got to do our commit. So it was a really, really cool thing. And I'm glad we all got to be there. So nice. So structured, like compare that to like just a family camp out as far as like, you know, I guess you obviously had like more planned activities. Was it like everyone sort of crowded into one space? Or did you have like room to breathe and have your own little bubble of yeah yeah so it's it's great um look you can't compare it to like going camping with friends that's a completely it's apples and oranges to me i'm guessing no canned wine on the cub scout camp out exactly right yeah this is a sober (laughs) camping experience although i did bust out my camping playlist which was a good time nice uh, for the for the parents but um so we yeah yeah, so, you know, with just your family or with family and friends, is, for us, anyway, is, like, very chill. There's lots of, like, sitting and chatting mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that canned wine that you uh, mentioned, for sure. Um, this is this was much more active. In fact, we were talking about it. I'm not sure we sat down until, like, after 8.30, you know. Wow. Go, go, go. So we had um, each den, so the kids camped by den, and den <coughs> equals grade level, at least in, in our pack structure. Right. So I assume that that's that way elsewhere but so we were camping with um, my older son's den because obviously we didn't want to you know have to pack two different sets of camping gear so we just all were in one tent so from for my younger son that was fun because he got to be with the older boys sure Um, uh, we're with their age groups for all the activities and so it was just pretty ideal because everything was catered to that age group and like I said it was you know four or five different like really cool activities and then at the end so yeah my older son got to practice with his pocket knife I mean just really cool stuff that like for me and listeners will not be surprised to know this it's like some stretch parenting for me sure 
pocket knife and, you know, letting them shoot BB guns is not something that happens in our house every day. And it's a big part of why this particular group is it's because I want my kids to learn those things, but it just gives me the willies every time I think about it. So doing it with other adults who are experts, who are trained in how to train children on how to do this stuff, it's, it. Yeah, big big difference maker for me. Well, and maybe so, you got to check a couple things off your dangerous things list. So yeah, pocket yeah, knives sure. sound pocket like knife. they would be on it. <laughs> One of them. Absolutely. Oh, story. So the kids get to, it's called a whittling chip, right? So they're, they're practicing. In order to be able to use their knives, um, they're supposed to like practice so much under the supervision of their, you know, Denlinger or whatever. And so they each get handed a bar of soap and a pocket knife and their job is to show control using the pocket knives to like carve like I don't know like a little person or a I don't know, widget whatever you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. carve whatever you want out of your soap using your pocket knife under the supervision of this adult so I walk back over and I'm like oh hey Oliver cool what'd you carve he had taken his bar of soap and carved it into an anatomically correct iPhone so like the home button and he had um done the screen he had done kind of curved the corners on the back he had the big x and like oh my god it was hilarious that's amazing and i I said buddy you know that's really cool what made you think of that and he's like well i knew it was the only way i was gonna get one and i was like carve yourself whatever Mm -hmm. device you want i'm into that that's amazing highlight of the trip for sure Bowie has taken a piece of cardboard and made himself an iPhone before where he he cut it or was in a rectangle and he drew all the buttons and all the pieces on same exact conversation. It was like, well, if you're not going to get me one, I'm just going to make my own. And he would carry it around. This has been like a year. So he was a little younger, uh, carry it around, pretend to make calls, pretend to send texts. It was amazing. So... We're just depriving our children of it. these things. We're depriving them, but you know what? It, it leads to some awesome creativity and p- perhaps new skills, i.e. Pop Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Uh, so what about you guys? What oh, you going on? Just, just the huge. I'm, I'm going out of town this week for work and just the, the typical scramble of, you know, organizing all the things before we get ready to go, you know, out of town. And, um, one of them is squeezing in this podcast and our interview. So <laughs> it was, so, uh, so I wasn't able to be there. We had, we both had busy schedules and we didn't get our, our calendars to collide this time around. So you actually took this interview solo. Why don't you kind of set it up for us before break? Yeah, I'm so excited about this. This is uh, someone I've met through Instagram and developed a friendship with. Her name is Lauren Rinaldi. She is a children's book author. Um, Her first book was out a year or so ago, and she'll talk with us a little bit about that. And she really you know, the whole book kind of started a conversation about diversity in children's books and the importance of introducing books about, you know, maybe different religions or different cultures or, you know, people that are different than us and sort of how to work those into the conversation with your kids. And she made some great suggestions, both for specific books and for resources that she uh, suggests. I, I really enjoyed talking with her and just learning a little bit more about the process of writing your own book. She talks a little bit with me about self-publishing and how that works. So yeah, I, it was a great conversation. And I, I learned a lot from her and I had a lot of fun chatting with her. So I'm excited for you to hear it. 
Great. Well, I love, yeah, I love this topic and I, I can't wait to listen. So listeners, join me in uh, <laughs> hearing, hearing that interview. I, it's going to be a great one. So listeners, stick around and we'll be right back after the break with Sarah's interview with Lauren. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at themiddleofeverythingpodcast.com, on Instagram or Facebook at The Middle of Everything, and on Twitter at T-M-O-E Podcast. And if you like the show, don't forget to review us on iTunes. It helps. Thanks. Bye. All right, everybody. We are here with Lauren Rinaldi. Did I say that right? Yep. Lauren Rinaldi. Okay. Rinaldi. Okay. <laughs> and she is a children's book author. Um, Lauren, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book and kind of how you got there? Yeah. Hi, everyone. So yes, I am a children's book author and also a public health professional. Um, and I'm a mom to a seven-year-old son and a four-and-a-half-year-old daughter. My husband and I, are, we, our family lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where I grew up. So I now get to read my family, my hometown, which is very fun. Mm-hmm. And my the my first book um, that I published was called uh, The Great Latka Cook-Off. And it's a Hanukkah story about family tradition and a little bit of friendly competition and some delicious recipes. And so I, um, I published that last year. And, you know, I really got into it because my husband and I um, were an interfaith family. Um, my family is Jewish and his is Catholic. And I really became inspired to write the book after our oldest child was born. He has a December birthday. And so when he was born several years ago, we received a lot of very lovely Christmas books as presents. And so I went out with the intention to buy some Hanukkah books and found that most of what's out there really falls into these two ends of a spectrum. On one side, you have this kind of more predictable, like um, like Elmo celebrates Hanukkah or Curious George celebrates <laughs> Hanukkah, right? Like all of these characters yeah. that we see over and over again that they just like plop into a scenario. And then the other side of the spectrum was like, the history of Hanukkah and the Maccabees. And it was like very sort of like historic telling, like storytelling. And neither of those really resonated with me and my own family traditions or cultural experiences. I really just wanted a story that um, was about a family celebrating the Han- the holidays together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided to write The Great Latka Cook-Off. And it's intended not just for Jewish families, but for families of all backgrounds. I love this. Um, my son has a good friend who, and my son is also seven, and I'm right there with mm-hmm. him on the ages. I think, yeah, he has a great friend who, same same as you guys, there's uh, one Jewish parent and one, I, I don't know if they're Catholic, but they're Christian parents. Mm-hmm. And they do this great thing every year at school where the his mother comes in and will talk a little bit about Hanukkah and what the differences. Mm-hmm. And, and I know they always, he always comes home with a dreidel and the coins. Yes, I, I I'm totally that. that mom who brings the dreidels to my kids. <laughs> class. And, I love it. Yeah. But this is a great, just another way to sort of uh, educate our kids about different holidays and different ways of celebrating. And mm-hmm. it, I, the, the illustrations are adorable. And I love the fact that it has a Thank recipe you. in it. Because I mean, everybody loves latkes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's been, it's so nice because that is actually, that is my grandmother's recipe. It's the mm-hmm. one that we use. And um, I've heard from so many readers across the country that they'd, they never tried latkes before and they made the recipe or that they, you know, that, oh, this is really similar to what we, we've been cooking for years. Or a lot of people who said, you know, we've started our own holiday cooking contests and it's just so fun to have something, you know, I just think that food connects people it and it's such 
such an important part of the holidays for us, especially because Hanukkah, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, like Hanukkah is not actually a big Jewish holiday. It's not one of the big ones. And it's definitely not like the Jewish Christmas, which I think is sort of the impression that's out there because it falls around the same time and there's gift giving, etc. And so for me, having a story out there that was really more about the family connection and the food and actually doesn't talk about gift giving at all um, was in was important for me to sort of have out there. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, this is totally off notes, but I'm Mm -hmm. just thinking about this as you're talking. Yeah. My husband is a chef and he's, he's kind of transitioned into a non-cooking role (laughs) for the most part Uh at this point, but he has a family. It's a Jewish family. Every year he cooks a big Passover dinner for them. Um, they They hire him to come in and sort of take care of, I think he usually does the sides and the dessert Mm -hmm. and I'm blanking now there's one big thing that's like the big Passover tradition right it's like a um well so they do the seder so like there's different parts yeah to the meal it's like a very um like so with the Passover Seder, there's different, you eat different things at different moments of the evening. So like okay. at certain times you'll, you'll eat the matzah or at other times you'll do like, you'll taste the horseradish or the haroset or whatever it is. Um, and so it kind That's of right. takes you through this, yeah, through this um, ritual essentially. Okay. So yeah, they bring him into, to do those different components, but I know he always had to follow certain recipes or mm-hmm. um, sort of there's certain ingredients they can and can't use. He always had to bring yep. a special flourless chocolate cake. So yep. <laughs> for, for me mm-hmm. and for him too, mm-hmm. you know, not growing up in that faith, it's been so interesting to learn a little bit more about that just through, again, something as simple as a meal that he's cooking yeah. for a family that has hired him in so they have less work to do on that day and can spend more time mm-hmm. with their family. So. Oh, and I was just saying, we do a thing where, um, so my husband is originally from Cleveland, where um, Great Lakes Brewing Company is, I think that's what it's called, mm-hmm. and they have a Christmas ale that comes out every year, which is quite tasty for anyone who likes craft beers, and so we'll do a latkes and Christmas ale, like, <laughs> gathering, so. <laughs> kind of yes. mix, mix the two. Anyway, sorry, yeah. that was total sidebar there. Um, sure. <laughs> I do that a lot, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just get off on a topic. So, um, you know, I really think diversity in children's books is something that I've been hearing a lot more about lately. And Mm -hmm. I've been noticing as, you know, my kids have grown up and started reading different types of books. One, I've had that horrifying moment where I pull a book out that was mine from the 70s. And I'm like, oh, Oh, no, this is not okay anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And then just slowly slide it back on the shelf and try not to put it out again. Um, But then, you know, this conversation about moving forward, I know... Um, there's another podcast I listen to, uh, One Bad Mother. I'll give them a shout out. And one, mm-hmm. of, the, um, one of the hosts of that podcast has written, recently written a book about um, sort of transgender kids and how mm-hmm. to be yourself and just sort of gender fluidity. And I'm really interested in that as well, just as a way to talk to our kids about, you know, different kids they're going to be around. Um, yep. Listen, I've got the two whitest plain Jane little boys ever, (laughs) but, um, you know, we go to public school and there's a lot of different kinds of kids at school. So I think that's a great way to sort of begin that conversation and find a way to, to introduce different kinds of people without putting it right in their face or sitting down and saying, well, there's this different kind of kid. You know, if it's just sort of naturally introduced in a book, then it just becomes part of their sort of 
you know, day-to-day existence. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that one thing, you know, there's this metaphor of windows and mirrors when it comes to um, to, to literature, and particularly, I think, to children's literature. And the idea is that, um, you know, books can either serve as a window into another experience, or books can be a mirror of something that you might be going through yourself, and that both are really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this great quote from author Kwame Alexander, that says, if you want your kids to imagine a better world, the books on your shelf should reflect that. And I I just, I completely, yeah, I completely agree with that. And I'm just, I'm very passionate about promoting and supporting diverse books and diverse authors and also using my purchasing power to show publishers and bookstores Mm -hmm. that these are the types of books I want to see, right? You know, if they're not selling, then they're they're not going to stock them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've really started to pay more attention to the types of books that we buy, um, the types of books that we gift to others and even the, the books that we're borrowing at the library. And so I'd say over the past year, I, you know, maybe about like 75% of the books that we've bought for ourselves or for others have been very intentional and broaden our exposure to other cultures or religions or abilities or languages or gender identities. Um, and last year, a colleague of mine, Natalie Thompson, who runs the blog um, Living by the Page, she and I developed and hosted a parent workshop on creating an intentional bookshelf about how to use children's books to spark family discussions. Because just as you were saying, they're just a really great um, forum and avenue to uh, to to really kind of have conversations about what are these experiences like? What are the characters feeling? How is this similar to how we live in our daily life? How is this different? Um, And so the workshop was an opportunity for families to kind of do a scan of their own bookshelves and see where they have um, gaps, which we all have. um, And kind of, yeah, and set some personal and family goals around how to um, diversify the books they buy or share with others. So, you know, if I can, I'd love to just take a second to highlight some of my own kind of personal favorites that I've I've recently... I've, that ones that I've recently discovered. So for picture books, I really love, um, there's a book called Little Brother for Sale by Rama Rhoda, and it's about um, a Muslim family, and it has a very relatable theme of sibling rivalry, right? The older, <laughs> the daughter tries to put her little brother up for sale because she's mm-hmm. just, like, done with him. Um, and it's super cute and has great illustrations. Um, there's this really beautiful book called We Are Grateful by Tracy Sorrell, and it's about Native American culture and the ex- and kind of just, like, experiencing the seasons. Oh, um, yeah. It's really, yeah, it's really well done. And then um, all the ways to Be Smart by Davina Bell is probably my favorite book um, at the moment. It's a book out of Australia. And I have a little girl who sometimes doesn't feel smart because she doesn't yet know all of her letters and she's convinced that she should because her older brother is reading so she thinks that she should be doing everything her seven-year-old brother is doing I am right right, I'm right there with you on that one yeah (laughs) and so this book has been a great confidence builder kind of reminding her that you can be smart in so many different ways and it's Mm -hmm. just it's this lovely rhyming story and the illustrations are just incredible and then for middle grade books you know my kids aren't in middle grade yet but I um, I've I've you know, taken an opportunity to read a lot of um, middle grade novels recently. And Front Desk by Kelly Yang is a great book. I've given it to so many families. I've given it to my nieces. Um, it's a 
wonderful story about the experience of a Chinese immigrant family. And then I just read No Fixed Address by Susan Nielsen, which I think is a really important book for discussing housing instability and homelessness and empathy. You know, there's so many kids in our public school systems who experience housing instability, and it's not something that is often seen or really talked about. So I think this is a really, a really great book that addresses that. And kind of just more generally speaking, there's this, there's a great online community of people who are really trying to bring diverse books the attention that they deserve. And so Absolutely. if, yeah, so for anyone who's who's listening, you know, and if you're interested in this, I would encourage you to check out websites like We Need Diverse Books or Read Brightly. They have a whole section on diverse books. Um, and you can also go to my website, which is laurenrenally.com, and I've, I've curated a list of organizations that support diverse books and also promote literacy across communities. Yeah. Um, your website is a great resource. I clicked through on several of those and it's Thanks. just, yeah, really nice kind of collection of those, those organizations that support that. And of course, we'll link up to all of this on our page notes and our show notes as well. Great. But yeah, these sound wonderful. And I know, you know, it, as you're, I'm sure, finding out with your seven-year-old, it gets a little bit harder as they get older to sort of yeah. control the narrative of what they're, what they're, you know, our, our younger ones, absolutely to sit down and read stories. My son uh, has some very definite opinions about what he wants to mm-hmm. read. And a lot of it involves Pokemon. I'm not going to lie. But <laughs> oh, yeah, we're there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, he gets to go to the library every week at school. And he's at the point where, you know, he can read, you know, kind of on his own more chapter books. And sometimes yeah. I honestly don't even know, you know, they have these names like the spooky toilet of doom or, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> I have no idea what he's got there. I assume if it's in the school library, it's okay. But, but you know, we still do sit mm-hmm. down and do sort of a little bit of a story time with both the kids before he sort of breaks off and reads on his own at bedtime. So yes. I think that is a, you know, some of those younger children's books are a great way, even with your older ones, if you're still reading those out loud to your younger kids, then they can kind of experience that as well. I was just saying, my seven-year-old also right now he is he is like totally obsessed with how people die and he he wants he's very into reading um history books and so we've been reading a lot of from that series um like the who was series like who was abraham lincoln who was john f kennedy and stuff and he but he like only wants to pick out the books where they talk about how somebody died you know he just picked out yesterday who was elvis and you know so that's been interesting too sort of having like you know sparking these conversations around around death and you know, it's hard because, you know, I was, we're reading who was Abraham Lincoln and I'm, I'm prepared to sort of talk to him about, you know, when Lincoln was assassinated and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And then we get to the part where Lincoln's three-year-old son dies and then later oh, his 11-year-old yeah. son. And I was like, oh, I, I was like, I wasn't expecting that conversation yep. right now. <laughs> or even last that. night we were reading, um, we're reading who is Jacqueline Kennedy. And there's this part in there that talks about apparently at JFK and Jackie's wedding, Jackie's father, her mother and father were divorced at the time. And her father um, sh- had been drinking and and her mother said, you're not allowed to come to the wedding. And all it says in there is that he had been drinking. And my son is like, what? He was what thirsty. Is- like he'd been drinking, <laughs> oh, you know, like, why can't he come? <laughs> So, like, I, mean, I was like, oh, gosh, um, well, he was having these adult beverages, yeah. and, like, they make you really loud, and so I just, oh, you know. Oh, my gosh. 
Yeah, but yeah, they sound so, like great books. But yeah, then some of these yeah. conversations that you're like, oh, not quite set for right. that one. Especially when you're not expecting exactly. it or it's a part of the story you forget yeah. like that. That's great. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and we already kind of touched on holidays too, but I definitely think holiday is a time where we can bring in some of those stories that are those like more traditional. Mm-hmm. Like we've been reading a lot of, um, and this is an old book, but uh, The Country Bunny and the Little Gold Shoes for Easter, mm-hmm. which yeah. is a- kid I always remember that book because the mother bunny everyone says oh you can't you know you can't be the Easter bunny you have too many kids and then she goes out and does it you know and I'm always like yeah mm-hmm. you right. go yeah you can do exactly moms want. can do anything exactly and I remember <laughs> that I brought that book in specifically because I remembered it from being a kid and thinking like you know, I, I just always like that story of the like empowered woman Easter bunny. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's subtle, but it's there, right? <laughs> yep. Well, and you said like bringing that book in, I think too, like, you know, as parents, sometimes we have these opportunities to like go be, um, you know, a classroom reader in our kid's school mm-hmm. for the day or whatever it is. And I, I just always encourage people to like, think about which books you're bringing in, you yeah. know, like make, you know, try to make a point of, you know, not just their like, you know, their favorite you know, Mo Willems book, which I, you know, I love Mo Willems, obviously. Sure. But, um, but you know, like when I went in recently to my daughter's classroom, we brought in, we brought in a book called um, Ruby's Worry, which is this great story about a young, um, young black girl, but it's really just mostly about like, you know, when you have worries and being able to talk about them and that mm-hmm. helps them go away. And so that was a book that the kids really liked. And in my son's classroom the other day, we brought in um, Grace for President, which is another um, book that he got from the library that he's just been kind of obsessed with. And it, you know, it not only talks about like, how do you elect somebody to be president, but it's this little girl who who is saying like, you know, wait, there's never been a woman president? Like, I, I you know, I'm going to run for our school president and stuff. So I think just taking any opportunity we can whenever we have the, whenever it's, you know, sort of on us to be presenting stories to mm-hmm. our own kids or a group of kids or whatever it is to be more intentional about what we select. I think so. And, you know, the other thing I feel like um, there's there's sort of becoming an awareness in, in, as far as the illustrations in the book. And maybe if the book isn't specifically calling out a, yep. a character as being yeah. you know, a minority or, you know, having yeah. a disability, they're just sort of incorporating that into the story. Exactly. I know I've picked up books with, um, you know, one of the characters is in a wheelchair or something like mm-hmm. that. So it's, again, not the, it's not driving the narrative of the story, but it's just sort yeah. of incorporated like it would be with daily life that you know just exactly part of of your day there's different kinds of people and these things are just in the story so exactly speaking of illustrator how did you find the illustrator for your book was it someone you already knew did you stalk her on the internet did you I did stalk her on the internet I did yeah (laughs) so she um so I when I was first, so I actually, I first wrote the book when we were living in Chicago and then I kind of just sat on it for a few years because I was a, you know, I was a new mom. I had, I had a full-time job and I had no idea how to publish a book. You know, I was, I thought you needed an agent and a publisher and you don't actually. (laughs) So, um, so it was, yeah, it's good to know. Um, and so a few years ago, I, um, well, actually no, like a year ago, I decided that I wanted to, um, to finally put my book out there. 
And um, the Ann Arbor Public Library has a, pr a printing company um, called Fifth Avenue Press that I went to because I thought they were interested in publishing Ann Arbor authors, but they are actually interested in publishing books about Ann Arbor. And But when I was on their site, I found this children's book called um, The Monster on Main Street, which for anyone who has ever been in downtown Ann Arbor, there is a man who plays the violin in a wolf mask on oh. Main Street like every day. Okay. And it's like, it's just sort of this quirky thing about our town. And so this woman, um, Emily Zywek, wrote and illustrated a children's book about him to sort of make him seem a little less scary to some of the younger <laughs> kids. Um, and I saw her illustrations and I just loved them. I just thought they were so charming and I really loved her style. And so I did. I, I Facebook stalked her and it turns out we had a, you know, a friend in common. And so I reached out to her and introduced myself and we met, got together for coffee one day and, you know, it was kind of, it felt like a first date. I was like, yeah. am I going to like her? Is she going to like me? Is this going to be a good fit? And um, we just really got along and she was interested in doing some freelance work. And so we just said, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this. You know, I gave her the, the sort of story. I gave her the manuscript and she said, well, why don't I just come up with a couple illustrations for you just to show you what I'm thinking. And without ever having seen any photos of my family, she drew a character of the grandpa that looks exactly like oh my, my dad gosh. like exactly <laughs> like my dad and so I was like you are hired um so we just embarked on this like six month sprint to get the book out there because it was March of last year mm -hmm. and I wanted the book out by October basically sure, so sure. that it could be ready for Hanukkah and so we worked together and she's actually I have a, I have two more books that are coming out which I can you know share information about but Please. she's she's going to be illustrating the the third one one. Again, she we took awesome. a little break because she's working on one of her own books at, at the moment. And so I'm working with another local illustrator here. But yeah, I just, you know, I, for me, it was something, one of the things I have learned about self-publishing versus traditional publishing is that in the world of traditional publishing, there is essentially a wall between the author and the illustrator. You know, you are working with a publisher and you, you know, they decide to, to publish your book. They send the manuscript to an illustrator that they've selected and the illustrator is, you know, independent and doing the work. And I didn't realize oh, wow. that there is little to no communication between the author and the illustrator. And for some people, they're like, I'm so happy with how this turned out. And it's wonderful. And it's exactly what I have in mind. And there's some women in, I'm in a, a writer's group um, through the Society of Children's Book Illustrators, um, mm -hmm. Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And I was talking with somebody the other day and she said, you know, I just, this isn't what I had in mind. And she said, wow. I really... And I have no real And she has no recourse. control. Oh, wow. Yeah, she has no control. And I was just like, oh, gosh, I can't. I, I could never do that. I just feel no. like I, it's just not it's not my mentality. Right, so, right. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I, so for me, for, for a number of reasons, self-publishing has been the route that I wanted to take. I enjoy the marketing and promotion aspect of it. I mm -hmm. like to be able to sort of do that myself. I like to be able to, you know, even though I, you know, my books, I mostly sell through my website, but even if they were on Amazon, I would do still as like a, um, an individual seller because I want to sign them. I want to put a little note in. I want to sort sure. of have that, that personal touch. And also one of the things I learned um, is that from the time a publisher accepts your manuscript, which that process can take, you know, a year and a half, if not more, to right. find a, a publisher. But even from that point, 
from the time that you sign the contract to the time the book is on shelves is typically about two years. And I'm just not that patient. Like I just want to like power through, you know, I want to say like, okay, I've got an idea. It's ready. And in 10 months I want to hold it. I want to have it in my hands. So, um, so I've really enjoyed the self publishing route. Um, and I think because this is, you know, it's a, it's a side project. It's a passion project for me. If it were something that I were really trying to do as my sustainable career, sure. I would try to get an agent and like really, you know, be in Barnes and Noble and and all of that. But I like being in the indie bookstores. I like, you know, kind of doing it my own way. Absolutely. Well, Mm -hmm. and I think it reaches, you know, an audience that, you know, very specifically either seeks you out or like you said, in an indie bookstore, you know, someone's there, someone's browsing, someone has their hands on it. You know, I I just think that's great. I love the idea of kind of doing it that way and just having the control over, you know, again, the illustrations, the the distribution and all that. I think that sounds wonderful. So as as a person who is a uh, serial side project have her. Right. <laughs> like, who knows? At some point I might want to do this. So far, yeah. so far I like talking more than writing, but. <laughs> right. But, you know, and I, you know, you mentioned sort of like this, the serial side project, you know, one of the side projects that has come out of my side project here is that I've actually been doing a lot of work with, with kind of, uh, you know, entrepreneurs or small business owners or other authors. Mm-hmm around their online engagement and social media presence because that's something yeah. I've put a lot of effort into is sort of creating, um, you know, a very curated social media presence that, you know, when you're a small business owner and even if this is like your side hustle, you know, branding is really important. And mm-hmm. so I do a lot of work right now with, with other, mostly women, some men, but mostly mm-hmm. women um, around, okay, let me do sort of a, like a deep dive into your social media accounts and your website and give some very specific recommendations and action steps around what I think you could do to really sort of make yourself more of a, a brand presence mm-hmm. um, and not in an overly businessy way, but just like having a clear identity of why people might want to interact with you and really showcasing your work as a professional. Absolutely. Well, then I want to talk to you about that separately because... Okay, you know, we can well, have a sidebar <laughs> conversation. Well, and you know, I think mm-hmm. when a lot of times when it is a side project or a passion project, like, like Claire and I are with this podcast that is the thing that sort of falls to the to yeah. the wayside. I know it definitely does for us because we both work full time. We both have two yep. kids. We're hustling around, going to, you know, soccer and swim lessons and all that stuff. Absolutely. And it, it becomes, and it's like we both know in our head, we both work in marketing and communication and yeah. sales full time. But it's like, well, you know, A, I have to do my actual job that I get paid for. Yep. And so I'm just mm-hmm. going to throw a picture out on social media that happened to me today and see where it, we'll see what happens. And, yeah. you know, that sometimes you just need a little bit more of that focus because it kind of falls off to the side when you're trying to produce content and podcasts and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So exactly. I, I think that's a great, you know, if you, ha- you know, you've got that skill and that's, you know, People do need that help and a fresh set of eyes on their, you know, brand. So that's great. And it's been it's been really fun and enjoyable because exactly what you're saying, people are like, I know it's important and either I'm just not sure what to do or I just don't have the time to do mm-hmm. it. And I get both of those things. You know, I have been that person who just sort of stares at my phone or my computer going, okay, I feel like I should post something today and hmm, I'm not really sure what it is. It doesn't yeah. feel authentic. Um, and so giving people, you know, I've helped people design even just some like templates for their social media 
website to say like, okay, mm-hmm. anytime you're going to post a quote, use one of these three things that are like in your in your color scheme, in the selected fonts that you've done, you know, I'll kind of create things for others. Or, you know, just even very simply saying, okay, I think that you could really benefit from, you know, putting together this sort of rotation of the kinds of things you're posting about, like giving mm-hmm. people some more access to who you are as a professional, really like doing a little bit more around the products that you're, you, you know, that you're looking at. And here's some sure. ways that I think you might be able to set that up. Um, and just really doing like a kind of a peer review. You know, you can do these very intensive, um, sometimes expensive courses online about social media. And I've done them. I have. Mm-hmm. I have. Um, and then just to say, okay, from all those coursework, all the coursework that I've done, to me as like a self-published author or a small business owner, what is the most useful? And if somebody says to me, like, I just need a plan, like what what could I give them from all the things I've learned? Right. Well, thank you. And why don't you give us, okay, you give us your website. Tell us how to find your book. You said it's mostly through your website. Yeah. Kind of give us a rundown on where to find you. Sure. Absolutely. So, um, yes, my, my, first book, The Great Lock of Cook-Off, is available on my website, which is laurenrinalli.com. There's also free downloads on there, like coloring and activity pages, like a word search and a maze that go with the book um, that you can just download right right from the website. And then my, my next two books that are coming out, the next one is called Snow Day at the Zoo, and it's due out in October of this year, and it's the story of zookeepers' children doing chores and playing games with the animals on a day when the zoo is closed um, for snow. Oh my gosh, and then I also have a <laughs> Thanks. I'm really, I'm excited about that. And then I have another book um, called Places We Have Never Been, and that's scheduled to come out in spring 2020. And this is an interactive read aloud book that gets kids thinking about how they can ask questions and explore places where they've never traveled. So whether it's a place that's a few miles away from them or across a distant ocean, it's really getting back to that intentionality that I feel so strongly about. And so it's really intended to get children to be curious about other countries and other customs and other cultures. And so if you're interested in learning more about any of that or seeing some of my other recommendations around diverse books, I think Instagram's probably the place where I'm most active. It's certainly where, Sarah, you and I have connected. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so that's Lauren.Renali underscore author, and I know you'll link to this, or on Facebook, I'm at Lauren Renali author. Um, and you're always welcome to send me an email through my website. You know, I really love connecting with other moms, other small business owners, or other creative professionals just to sort of talk through the process. I get I get emails or like Instagram messages on a regular basis saying, hey, I'm, you know, starting a business or I'm thinking about self-publishing. Can I pick your brain, you know, for five minutes? And I'm really happy to say yes. You know, I, I think it's really important that as a community, um, of you know business owners or authors or whatever we are or however right. we're connected to share expertise and you know to not hoard information um, because it's not like it's not like there's not enough to go around so I'm, I'm always happy to share what I've learned well thank you so much and I can't wait to go to your website and buy your book because I want it for my house at the holidays and I want your latke recipes so. thank you I will be happy to send me your kids names and I'll be happy to inscribe it for oh them, my so. gosh they would love <laughs> that. All right. I'm doing it now. (laughs) Thanks so much, Lauren. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. So nice to talk to you. Uh Uh-huh.